This is The Guardian. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. In just under two weeks' time, if all goes to plan, 7.5 billion pounds worth of scientific equipment is going to be launched into space. Sat folded up inside the European Ariane 5 rocket will be the James Webb Space Telescope. Webb is the world's largest and most advanced space science observatory. And it really is a beast. The main mirror around 21 feet and the sun shield about the size of a tennis court. It's taken 30 years to build and has been described as one of the grand scientific endeavors of the 21st century. As it travels to its final destination, a point about one million miles away, it will begin to unfold its gold honeycombed mirror, a vast, light-catching bucket. The James Webb Space Telescope is the instrument, right, that every single astronomer is excited for. We're on tenterhooks. We've been planning what observations we're going to make with it for years, decades even for some people, because it is set to revolutionize nearly every single field of astrophysics. As you can imagine, it's very exciting. But for the scientists and engineers who made the telescope, it's also terrifying. Once it's up there a million miles away, if it doesn't work, no one will be able to reach it. And that means no fixes. But if it does work, it could give us a view of the universe deeper and more sensitive than we've ever had before, taking us right back to the very first stars that flickered into being around 13.5 billion years ago. 
and it could reveal clues about life on other planets. Say what you want about how long it took to build, but it's going to start studying exoplanets within its first year of operation. Imagine if we detected life with it in the next five years instead of the next 50. I think that might make it into the papers. From The Guardian, I'm Madeline Finlay, and this is Science Weekly. Guardian Science Editor Ian Sample spoke to Professor Beth Biller from the University of Edinburgh, a researcher who will be using the James Webb Space Telescope, or JWST, when it's finally in orbit. Beth, first off, why is everyone so excited about the launch of the James Webb Space Telescope? So JWST just has incredible potential for expanding our knowledge of our universe. JWST's primary mirror has a diameter of six meters. Uh, so the current largest telescope we have in space is the Hubble Space Telescope. The diameter of that mirror is 2.4 meters. So it's just so much bigger. So it's going to have much better resolution because you're not fighting with the atmosphere. You can look at longer wavelengths. You can go a lot deeper and you can look at wavelengths that are not available from the ground. So JWST just has incredible potential for expanding our knowledge of our universe. So this is going to be a hugely capable telescope, Beth. What sort of things is it going to be looking at? Almost everything. Uh, JWST is going to tell us a lot about galaxies, both nearby galaxies and distant ancient galaxies. It will tell us about young disks around stars where planets are forming. It will tell us about the planets forming in those disks. Um, And it will also tell us about our own solar system. Now, we know that the Hubble Space Telescope is our most most successful, most powerful space-based telescope. And I'm sure our listeners will have seen loads of the pictures, the amazing pictures that it's taken over the years. Unlike Hubble, though, James Webb is going to be observing in the infrared spectrum, not in the visible. What is the benefit of looking in the infrared? So HST actually does some of the infrared, uh, but JWST goes a lot further into the infrared. So in particular, JWST covers wavelengths that we just can't observe from the ground, essentially because our atmosphere is also glowing at those wavelengths. So instead of seeing uh, astronomical objects, if you look at those wavelengths from the Earth, you see the atmosphere. Uh, For my own field, looking at exoplanets, it opens up just new wavelength regimes where we just haven't looked before. So there's a lot of interesting molecular features uh, that we'd really like to cover. Right, so what are exoplanets and why are they so interesting? All right. So exoplanets are simply planets orbiting stars other than our sun. Uh, The first of these around stars like our sun were detected in 1995. And since then, we've detected more than 4,000 exoplanets. So pretty much anywhere we have the sensitivity to detect exoplanets, we have. And what sort of questions do you think James Webb will be trying to answer about exoplanets? So JWC will be largely a characterization instrument for exoplanets. It's not likely to detect too many more, but for the planets we know about, it will allow us to study them in detail. So it will tell us a lot about the diversity of exoplanet atmospheres. And JWC will be great for that because not only is it a big telescope in space, so it gives us the resolution we need to image those planets, but it also has an excellent suite of coronagraphs. So these are instruments we use to block out the starlight and be able to see any faint planet next to its star. And why is it interesting to look at the atmospheres of some of these exoplanets? 
One is just to understand the diversity of planets in general. Uh, and then the other side, of course, is that we are also interested in understanding whether there are other planets like our own Earth out there. We have detected about a dozen potentially habitable planets. They're mostly around stars very different than our sun. So very small stars. These are planets that are much closer in to get to the sort of temperatures where you could have liquid water on their surface. So for instance, the nearest star to us, Proxima Centauri, has one of these planets. It's a tiny little red star, and its planet has an orbit that takes it 11 days. So its year is 11 days long. They're also in a very high radiation zone. So they're receiving a lot more x-rays and gamma rays than we do at our position from our star. So are they actually habitable? We don't know. To figure out if they're habitable, we need to look at their atmospheres because we can't really see below the atmospheres. And we can look for signs of life in the form of biosignature gases. So these are gases that could be linked to living organisms. On Earth, that might be things like carbon dioxide, oxygen, methane, and so on. Are you looking for a particular mix of molecules and modeling on what's found on Earth? Or is there a wider net of molecules you'll be looking for? There is a whole field uh, around what would constitute a biosignature. And so far, there's not been like one molecule or one thing you could detect that would be, you know, okay, this is clearly inhabited planet or fully habitable. Because there is no smoking gun, I think there's not going to necessarily be a moment where we're like, okay, clearly we've detected life on this planet. It's probably going to be more of a question of looking at enough atmospheres and getting a sense of what is likely to be caused by life and what's not. Like right now, we're completely unconstrained. We have theory, but we don't have the data. JWST will produce some of that first data. My personal feeling is we're probably going to be needing to look at 30 to 60 potentially habitable exoplanets before we have a really good idea, okay, this one is the clearly habitable one. There are so many questions to ask and it must mean that there's a huge queue for using the James Webb Space Telescope. When are experiments likely to start? When can you start observing and, and when do you think you'll be able to get your hands on it? Obviously, lots of people want to use the JWST. Uh, and so the observing time is awarded competitively. Once a year, there's a call for proposals. Everyone writes up, you know, this is why I would like to have this many hours of JWST to do this program. And then this is reviewed by essentially panels of their peers. And the top rated programs are the ones that then are allocated time. There's also additional guaranteed time observations. So for the people who actually built the instruments and the telescope, they have some time. Once JWST launches, there's going to be six months of commissioning just to make sure everything is working. Uh, so I would say the first results are going to start coming out this summer, if everything goes well. <laughs> Tell me how you're feeling now or how you think you'll be feeling on launch day before it goes up. I mean, this is a, an awful lot of work. And the nature of launches is that you have to put all your eggs in one basket with a telescope like this. The chances, I think, of something going wrong at launch are small but they do exist. And so for those of us who have been spending years on this stuff, <laughs> there there is a certain amount of anxiety that comes in the next few weeks. I mean, it's worth emphasizing that launch is just the beginning. The first few months are going to be a bit of a nail biter for everyone. When commissioning is well underway next year, I think everyone will breathe a sigh of relief. 
Beth, huge thanks for coming on and talking to us about it all and best of luck. And you must come back on again when you hopefully have some results to share from the telescope switching on. That would be great. Thanks so much for inviting me. Thanks to Professor Beth Biller. We'll be keeping our fingers crossed for the launch, currently scheduled for the 22nd of December. We'll be reporting on it at theguardian.com. And that's it for this week. See you on Tuesday. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, What if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Lexus. Some things do more than their stated functions because exceptional things inspire you to do exceptional things. To this select list, we add the all-new Lexus GX. With its exceptional capability, you'll see possibilities you never knew existed, sending you far outside your comfort zone. But as much as the GX challenges you, it also spoils you. Its intuitive technology and luxurious features mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to it. The all-new Lexus GX. 